Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today we are recording episode 122. Before I introduce our guest today, I want to introduce my book, which is the same title as this podcast. It's called A Gift from Adversity. This is available on Amazon. A gift from adversity, Jiri, J U R I, love. The subtitle of this book is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. After I published this book, I got a lot of messages from all over the world. People are sharing their adversities. Last year, I felt compelled to start this podcast, same title as my book, A Gift from Adversity. To create a safe platform where people can share not only their adversities, but also the tools that people use to overcome and a gift that came from it. And I'm very, very grateful to have continued this many episodes and guests from all over the world. So let's invite today's guest. Hello, Joel. Thank you so much for coming in. Oh, you're muted. Hi, Joel. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for inviting me. Perfect. So let's start with your name, where you're coming in from today. And then what you do for work, and if you have any social media, any website that you want to shout out. Jarrell Lamar, uh, I'm coming from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I'm a professional master barber, and my uh, podcast, all my podcast episodes are loaded on Jarrell's World, J-O-R hyphen E-L, via Facebook. What is your podcast about? Uh, well, it's a collection of all the different podcasts that I've been on in within the last year. It's like I got like probably like about 30 something episodes of different platforms. And we just, you know, some it's just a mixture of different things, intellectual talk conversations, uh, comedy, you know, just a bunch of guys or girls on panels having worldly discussions and, you know, just having fun with it. And a whole bunch of interviews such as this. Wonderful. And are you a professional master barber? Yes, for 11 years. So you teach people as well? I do. I've taught uh, one, my cousin. I taught him how to cut hair, and he's uh, making money on the side trying to get into barber school. And I had a couple, uh, I taught a little, it was about, he's about 11 years old. I taught him because he was interested in cutting, you know, wanting to learn how to cut hair. Uh, a girl, a couple females. So yeah, I'll talk some people. Wonderful. So let's move on to the first question we have. So Joel, can you tell our audience, what was your adversity? Well, uh, basically it started from like 12, you know, I found out a family secret and I had to deal with that on my own. And, you know, I, I wasn't ready for it, you know, and I end up 
it ended up making me into something that I, you know, bought something out of me, which was a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and confusion and things of that nature. Then growing up, you know, got close to my twenties, I started getting in, into law trouble with the law. And uh, I ended up doing some time there going into my twenties and end up getting out and then doing 14 years. So I had a lot against me and, you know, they say life will do one or the other thing. And that's either make you or break you. And it was breaking me. And, you know, I had to go through what I was going through, which a lot of the times I was pointing fingers at myself or at, at others. You know, when you point your fingers at someone else, you got three pointing them back at yourself. So, you know, I had to, you know, go endure what I went, what I had to endure. And it was difficult. It was a lot of difficult situations. Some of them, a lot of pressure on me. And I, you know, I wanted to, I didn't want to do it. In other words, I didn't, I had thoughts of not, you know, suicidal thoughts, never carried them out, but still the thoughts is enough to be concerning. And I had to deal with it all about, deal with it all myself. And uh, it, it took me, took me through a journal, a journey, self-healing and self-reflection, shadow working, because, you know, change don't come till you're tired. And I end up getting tired and wanting to start, you know, doing things differently and thinking differently. So, you know, hard times, school of hard knocks, as they call prison, that I had to fight through that adversity. So let's, well, thank you so much for being very honest and then uh, sharing your story. And I just want to really dissect uh, what happened to you at age 12. Uh, you said you found out some family secret and that kind of affected you and then kind of shifted your life path. Can you explain a little bit deeper? Uh, well, for the first 12 years of my life, uh, I thought that this man was my father. And uh, a uh, grown up dispute between his sister and my mother got out of hand and the sister let the secret be known and it got back to him. And my stepfather had to tell me what the deal was. And then how did it affect you for your um, middle school and high school life after finding that out? Well, I thought it was cute because it was like, here it is. This is what it is. Deal with it. Was no conversations and no talks. I, I have a nine-year-old daughter, and, and she's been going through some serious things with her mother. So I, you know, talk to her and try to help her through it. And and now she's to a point where she can accept, you know, how she what she go through is with her mom. How her mom is. I didn't get that, so I had to deal with it, and I didn't know how to deal with it. And it just it sent me. It it had me. That's when I started having suicidal thoughts. Like, I don't want to be here because it made me feel like, you know, it's a family of five and got a grandmother, got a grandfather, and he got everything that my mom didn't have. She just had a bunch of sisters and uncles that lived out of town that never really was in, not in really, but wasn't in my life. So it, it just made me feel like I was unwanted. And then, you know, things went down between me and my stepdad, and he used to say little things that, like, you know, what you do when you got a a barrel filled full of good apples and one rotten apple. What do you do? And I'm like, he asked me that question. And I'm like, you get rid of the, the bad apple. So, you know, in hindsight, it, it was what it was. So 
you know, it, it just made me feel like then nobody give then nobody care about me. How about your school? Did you have any support system, guidance counselor, friends around you who understood you or you just didn't disclose? I, it really wasn't an issue. I don't recall, like when I was incarcerated, I did a lot of thinking when I went, when I, you know, I had, was in a discipline center of the uh, prison. And, you know, I don't, it didn't affect me too much. Uh, you know, it was, I think I have the ability to leave things at home and not bring them out into the world. And, you know, I, I'm good at that now, but I've always had that in me. So it was never, you know, it didn't change me. They couldn't nobody tell or anything like that. I just dealt with it. I just learned how to, you know, unknowingly learning how to deal, deal with it, but I learned how to deal with it as the time went on. But at a time it got out of control and it was, it turned into a hurt people, hurt other people. And I was just, you know, gone mentally. Joel, I just want to really appreciate you um, coming here today on my show. And to be honest with you, um, not so many people are brave enough to talk about it. And then think about the past and then where it started. I had experience and privilege to work with juvenile offenders for 12 years. Um, I had a nonprofit. It's called Genuine Voices, which we won an award. I won an award from Boston Celtics among us um, because uh, we worked with the gangs such as Blood and Crips. Mm -hmm. We taught music to probably the worst criminals, so-called, in the state of Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. uh, Hip-hop, production, these are juvenile um, but then a lot of times when you want unwind the stories behind, for instance, um, it's in my book, A Gift from Adversity, one of the boy who I was taught, I was teaching piano to, he was shaking. And I'm like, why are you shaking? And he said, because my dad got shot to death when I was five years old in front of my eyes. I became a father figure to my sister she got punched by neighbor. I punched him back, broke his rib. I got charged for assault in battery. So I'm here. So she was basically very angry. Right. So a lot of times when the police shows up, when the law enforcement comes, they absolutely, they absolutely don't know what had led your attitude to that point. And then that's when I really got to sit down and then using music as a tool to threshold these juvenile offenders and find out a lot of stories, not only just reading the profiles, but also, um, you know, person to person. And then a lot of kids that I met, um, unfortunately, when I asked, for instance, what is your dream? He said, I have no dream because I know I'm going to get killed when I'm out. And a lot of times um, I met one, one of the boy who never seen ocean until our staff took him out to uh, sea kayaking in North Shore in Massachusetts. And he thanked me for taking, me, uh, taking him out. However, um, his house is actually located 20 minutes away by car to the ocean. So he was raised by a lot of drug and alcoholic and he was his father is in jail 
and his mom was addict and his grandma raised him. So there was no way out in the environmental wise. And then, you know, unless you have bring, you can bring this kid to a completely different neighborhood, a completely different family or environment, it's extremely hard to get out of these situations and then philosophies and beliefs and then, you know, behavioral patterns that were taught and then believed in instilled in these youth minds. And that's what I witnessed over the years. So how, I don't know anything about Ohio situation. Is there a lot of like gang wars and a lot of like um, situations such as, you know, in the middle of area, some areas in Boston, we do have that, but I don't know anything about Columbus. Ohio. No, they don't, they don't have that. They have their typical Crips and Bloods, but you know, it's just a bunch of followers that don't know what they're following for real. They don't, it ain't serious. Everybody got their little territories and whatnot, but there's never really been a, I can't remember last time there was a gang situation where, you know, it got to a level where the police was getting involved in it. So it's just like little neighborhood things. It's nothing serious. So how did your environment impacted uh, being incarcerated? Do you think it was Columbus, Ohio kind of environmental thing or family or internal? Do you think the school didn't help you? Do you think um, so, like social services, like anything that could have kicked in to save you didn't like have aid for you? No, no. I mean, they had it, but it wasn't, it wasn't advertised. It wasn't pushed. Like we really didn't know or anything like that. It, it's just, I mean, it's very necessary now that I'm older is to this day. I wonder, I question, you know, do they have mental health situations or, you know, what, what happens? Cause there's a lot of kids that really need that younger than I was, but no, they didn't have none of that. They, they, they basically, I was like, especially in my community, they don't get that personal when it comes to counseling and therapy and all that for whatever reasons that they, they just really didn't push that, especially back in those days. You just they just put it on your plate. and You've dealt with it. And especially being a black man, I think there's a, a lot extra layer pressure versus white women, for instance, or white men. I think um, I, I was in the pot. I was invited to the podcast of Javi Mack, who is black male, who does this wonderful podcast about mental health. Mm -hmm. He himself uh, went through a suicidal attempt and thoughts and stuff. And then he depicts how black men as that you have to be strong. You cannot cry about it. You have to just push it through instead of, you know, getting help. Like you said, a mental health help and stuff in the language. And again, um, the er era that we lived in, I'm 47 years old. I'm from Japan where I went through all these adversities where nobody understood what the child sex abuse was or, you know, PTSD was until I came to this country at age 22. So I know you kind of mentioned that maybe there was an aid, but maybe it wasn't pushed. But um, what do you think uh, was really, really going on when you were growing up in terms of why, why were there no... Um, education around it? Why were there no so much help around it so that you didn't have to go through that path? I think because they were still studying it. They, they, you know, 
right now where they're at with the information that they gathered over the years, we got more of an understanding what ADHD is, with you know, by everything that is about a human being's characteristics that is associated with things of that nature, bipolarism, ADHD, ADD, you know, things of that nature. We did they didn't know back then. We are we talking about more mental health. We're putting more emphasis in mental health in today's world because now we're seeing that it's more important. It's very, it's needed. It really is needed to, from a child that's five years old all the way up to, you know, my, our age. So, you know, it wasn't as important then as it was now. Cause a lot of the times, you know, the older adults would be like, oh, you talking crazy. When a child would come to a child, an adult, Oh, yeah, you're talking crazy. And then, you know, the mentality of a man, you know, he's supposed to suck it up and, you know, he ain't supposed to cry and all that stuff. No, we're human beings. You know, we have emotions. We're no different. We just have a higher testosterone level than than the, uh, the females. So, you know, they're emotional. We think with our emotions and we think with our intelligence. So we're not thinking with our intelligence. We're in our emotional state of mind. And that's just the that's just about that's what humans are all about. So, you know, they handled it way wrong back then and now we're learning we got you know back then they didn't have no mental health month you know now they're paying more attention and now they're you know they're getting kids help kids at the age of six seven eight they're they're, they're being counseling where hundreds and thousands of us you know in our age in our generation i'm 49 in our generation at the we didn't we shoot you got people our age who ain't never been to counseling and they need it very very bad so they didn't have no emphasis back then in there well, thank you so much for explaining that because I obviously didn't grow up in this country. Mm-hmm. I don't know what was going on, but I know it since 1998 when I came to America that it was definitely emphasized, implemented educations there. However, in Japan, it's a lot of stigma still. So, for instance, if you say, okay, I have a counselor, people think you're crazy and people may fire you from your job. And, you know, that's an, another big challenge of the society is not accepting the mental health as is or as equally important as physical health, because mm-hmm. body, mind, soul. But um, I feel that this conversation, especially minorities and then, um, you know, black male, I think it's so unsung, un- untalked about. And, you know, the dialogue's not normalized, um, especially back then. But again, it's changing. So I'm very glad for that. Yeah, I am too. I have hope because, you know, it's a process and you got to trust the process. You know, I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago, last month actually, and we was talking about the progress that, you know, African-Americans have made. Just in 1959, they kind of like ended segregation and Jim Crow. So look where we at from you know that ain't that ain't even 55 years ago. So look how much we've accomplished. And you know, mental health being acknowledged now, it's gonna take a long time because there's been a lot of damage done to my people. It's been a lot. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of years, slavery, Jim Crow, all that. And Jim Crow just ended in the 60s. So, you know, that's not a long, that's like really around the corner, you know, for real. And so you got to trust the process. You know, we didn't have a black president. We have a, a black you know, vice president. We have million black billionaires and black millionaires, you know, things of that nature. So 
but it's going to take a long, it's a marathon. It is a hundred mile, it's a thousand mile marathon because we done went 10,000 miles to get to where we're at now. So you just got to trust the process, each one teach one, and, you know, just hope for the best. Joel, I want to ask you some question, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. But as somebody who had experienced the prison system and getting out and then um, re-entering the community, did you have did you face any difficulties? Um, can you please um, explain to some people who had absolutely no idea how it is to probably made a get a job or anything that had challenges? Well, I would advise anybody who knows someone that is going about to do a long stretch to push them into getting mental health within themselves and outside that the groups that they offer and to get into a trade. Because that's one of the most difficult things is getting a job with the record. So with me, I did, you know, basically 14, two months away from 14 years. And it took me half of that time to get adjust because I wouldn't run in the streets. I, you know, when I was out, I was doing work, you know, all that, that was my simple life. Family, work, keep it simple. But uh, when I got out, but as I, you know, got through the halftime part of it, things start clicking. I start, I start having control of my emotions. The tools that I got from my adversity, I started using them into play, into navigating through this much more smoothly because time was doing me. And then I figured it out and I started doing the time. So I end up uh, not only just working on myself, but preparing for the outsides unconsciously. You know, I was still a, you know, like a little butterfly running all over the, flying all over the place. But, you know, I end up getting my GED. I, then I went from that to getting my diploma, no, my uh, license for barbering. Got my barber license and, you know, came home. And the adversities that I had, it was, it. I knew that if I can make it in prison and come out and still have the same mind and, and not still be in that mode, because prison can either make you or break you and you become institutionalized and you can't adapt into the new game that's called life. Therefore, you end up going, make a mistake and end up going back. Some just keep going through that revolving door. So once I realized that that wasn't, that wasn't going to be me, I end up, uh, I end up, going through, I knew that I was going to be okay here. I ain't have no worries. I just trust the process. I trust my God and I'm going to get through this. But as I went through it, I had to go through a lot of different things because I had family members, kids that, you know, I left when they was like six, four and two. Now they're close to 20, 16 and 18. And that we were bumping heads, family members, because I still had that prison that prison outfit on me my first three years coming home and you know it was difficult because i didn't i had zero tolerance you know i was very respected in prison and i was like if you disrespect me i'm gonna go back to what i know and that's violence so i had to get myself up out of that and just detach myself from those that was bringing that out of me and focus on those that was bringing the good out of me and keeping it in harmony and keeping it at peace, playing the playing a role the way the role is supposed to be played. Don't come in my world with the BS. I'm not going to come in your world with the BS. We should be cool. And if you do, you got to go. So I had to go through all that. And, you know, job-wise, 
I got a barber gig, which was, that's why I advise anybody to, who knows someone in prison to get involved into all those little things that they have to offer, take advantage. That way, when you get out, you have the tools to not go back. So, you know, I had to get, it took me like three, four years to get through all the adversity of distractions. And once I did that, myself, just, I, you know how a ship is going in one direction and it can go faster, but it got too much weight. So they start dumping weight. Once I start dumping weight, I started moving faster. That is an amazing analysis. And then I completely understand the, the cycle of revolving, revolving door that you mentioned, because I've seen kids when I was working in the detention program for 12 years, I've seen kids go out and come back right away. And the revolving door, the danger of it is this, you know, what you are comfortable of or what your paradigm is, what your self-image is versus a successful man and then resourceful human being in our community or society versus somebody who's incarcerated. And then that is just a shift of the mind, the power in a game that not so many people can survive. Mm -hmm. So I really congratulate you for you. shipping, moving the ship forward and then dumping all this BS um, along the way and not going back to the, the revolving door and then mm -hmm. shifting the paradigm. So this is a great seg um, segue to um, move to another question, which is my absolute favorite part of the podcast which is the tools that people use to overcome. So Joel, before I shift this um, conversation to the tools part, I just want to tell you a backstory of it. So I am a survivor of child sex abuse, domestic violence and homelessness and in Japan. And then a lot of times when I share this story, people who's never been raped, who's never been homeless, people say, oh, just forgive and forget. And, I think it's a BS because it is just so hard to do so. So I came up with this idea of forgive myself to not forgive. You don't have to forgive that person, but you can forgive yourself to stand out, stand up for justice. Right. So that is my tool. But every guest that came to my podcast, this show, you are guest number 122. And I'm very proud that people had shared such wisdom and such tools that I've never heard of, which I actually applied some of it to my um, challenges. So, Joel, of all the tools that you learned, what worked the most for you? I over E, intelligence over emotion. I learned that, you know, with humans, we live, we think with two ways. There's two ways we could think, and that's, that's emotionally and that's intelligently. And my problem was that my biggest problem in life was uh, my controlling my emotions. So, you know, once I, you know, went through what I got went through and I analyzed it and saw what the main problem was, is that if I could focus on that, then the rest, I can build the foundation and I can go from there. You know, I started learning how to control my emotions and being more, you know, on the intellectual side of thinking of things. And now I'm to the point where 
I will usually, if something happened, like for example, say somebody come into the barbershop, I rate, and then, you know, I get involved and we end up fighting and blah, I would just go ahead and indulge in it. Now, um, it only takes a couple seconds, you know, just to think of the consequences. If I get involved and I get into the situation with this individual, he knows where I work, he can, he can mess my car up, I'm in a lose-lose situation. So let me just take one of my tools, which is think for those who can't think for themselves and stay in my intelligent mode and try to pull him out of his emotional mode. So I over E was the foundation, the main tool that I went to when it comes to, you know, the adversities that I have went through in controlling my emotions. I completely understand what you're saying, but is there any tangible things that people can apply when they are like worked up, angry, emotional. How do you pull yourself back um, objectively and then go into the intelligence side that you mentioned? What are the tools that you can share? Me personally, I have a structure when it comes to, you know, what you're speaking of. If you have, if I'm confused about something, if a, if a person is confused about something, you got it, and they don't figure it out, they're going to get frustrated. That confusion is going to cause frustration. Then it's going to cause you to be upset. Then it's going to cause you to be mad, then pissed off, and then angry. Once you're at angry, me personally, once a person is at angry, that angry level, it's over. You know, it's, it's hard to bring back. So get under me personally, I got to have understanding of any situation. If I don't have no understanding and it's a serious situation, I'm going to get frustrated. Like, why is this person not texting me back? What is going on? Why aren't they returning my call? And then I'm gonna, and as I, if I can't figure it out, then I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get mad, I'm gonna get upset, and it's gonna keep going. And once I get, a, once I get a hold of them, I'm gonna be angry. So for me, I have to get understanding. I think the most important thing in life is understanding, and therefore, in order for you to get understanding, you gotta be able to communicate. So you gotta communicate with them. I communicate within myself, calm myself down. And, and understanding that I have control of this situation. I can take it whatever way I want to go. Which way do I want to go that's safe? So it's all about taking that second and trying, and you teach this stuff to your kids. So when they get older, it, they'll keep practicing and they'll get better and better and better. So by the time they're of age, they have control of their emotions because they got a decade of experience. They've been trying to, they've been learning about controlling their emotions since they were you know, young. So it's all about having control over your emotions and realizing and that you have to sit back and take a second to start thinking. And if you start thinking for a second, then it's going to be it's like a domino effect. Next thing you know, it's going to hit the next one. And next thing you know, you don't you got control of your emotions and you're not there. So it's about taking tools, whatever, finding a happy space, that's happy part of your mind where you can escape to or, you know, meditating or getting to the point where you have more control of your emotions because it all starts with you. I love it. And coming from you, it weighs so much because you have to fight through so much of the challenges and adversities that you had endured in your life. And somebody who had really come out from the other side of success in your life, it's very admirable that you can choose and you can teach people that there's a choice 
And obviously, I go through a lot of PTSD, depression, or self-doubt, or you know, sabotaging myself. And I always tell myself recently, you only have 24 hours. Would you self-sabotage and depress and then beat yourself up? Or would you stay out of those mental stage and then focus on something tangible? And you always have the choice. And I like what you say, when you have two ways to choose, which one is safer? Which one is more accessible to you? And then you always know whoever the perpetrators are, whoever the aggressors are, more time that you spend to think about those things or past adversity, I realized that those are the time they are having control over you. Right. Right. Giving like, them power. I've learned I learned that in prison. Like the the guards will can they'll pick out a person who they see that they can get and they would just go there, do some simple piss them off and then sit back and laugh. And it got tried on me. And I'm like, yeah, I already know what y'all trying to do. I'm not, I'm not them. I'm me. So go on somewhere. But to see that person, them have power over their emotions, like I'm not about to let certain people or anybody, I'm gonna try my best not to let someone get me out of my hookup because I don't want you to have power. I like having power over you. I may I said this, I said a couple words, and now you're out your hookup. Now I have control of it because I'm sitting back and I'm laughing at you. So it's all about having control. That's what it's about, having control of yourself. And if you have control of yourself, you'll be able to control others in other situations. I wish I had known these tools when I was younger, but Me not too. <laughs> But we are still, we have somewhere to go still. Yeah, we got a lot of life to live. <laughs> yes. So, Joel, I absolutely cannot thank you enough for coming to a gift from adversity today. Uh, I respect you so much, and then I thank really you. appreciate your story. So, my last question for this podcast is a gift that came from your adversity. So, what would you say to our audience? What was the gift that came from your adversity? Love. Love. When <laughs> once I start loving me you know, everything starts changing. You know, it starts within you. You can't love anybody if you don't love yourself. So I can't show the world love if I don't love myself. And that's where it all starts. One, you know, somebody told me that love's not enough. Love was enough for me. That love, real love can move mountains. And it moved, it moved that mountain out my way. Now my path is clear. <laughs> so love yourself. Find love, you know, look at the things that, you know, that's that's beautiful about you and, and fix the things that aren't so beautiful about you. You know, we're, per we're not perfect, so we're going to make mistakes. But if you love yourself, you know, it'll start changing things. So beautiful. And my favorite mantra is I'm the love that I seek. Yes, you always got to look for love. Look for love within you. Look for love from others. You always got to look for love. Because, look, I mean, when it's real, you can't go wrong with it. A lot of people don't know what love is. Love ain't supposed to hurt. There's the opposite of love. is You know, what, hurt? Is that supposed to feel good? No, it don't. So love is supposed to feel good. It ain't supposed to hurt. 
So, you know, know what love is and embrace it. Love who you are, accept who you are. And if anybody gonna love you, you know, ain't nobody gonna love you more than you should love yourself. Let's just put it that way. Stop looking for love in other places. It's within you. Well, thank you so much. So, Joel, before I let you go for the episode 122, which I'm very proud of, um, I would like you to give an advice for somebody who might be going through what you went through. What is your biggest advice for them? You're going to make it out of it. You may just look at it. All that stuff that we gone through, that we all go through, they're tests to see where you at. And after each test, you get the results and you look over it and either accept it or you get better. So look for, yeah, look, look within you, look within you and uh, what you learn from your mistakes, teach to others and not just for yourself, teach to others and because lessons are to be learned and they be taught. So, you know, plant seeds, but understand that once you get through, because we all been through some stuff and we can make it out of that. What makes you think they ain't gonna be able to make it out of anything else? It's all a test of your will. See how strong you are, see how weak you are, work on your weakness and embrace your, your strengths because things don't do nothing but either make you or break you. Pressure bust pipes or make diamonds. So always remember that you're gonna be okay. Your God, the creator got you. And if you made it out of all that that you went through in the past, you're going to make it out of anything currently or anything in the future. Just trust the process and try to keep moving forward and learn, learn back. You can't go, you can't drive a car looking at the rear view mirrors all the time. No, you got to focus on what is, get what you get back there and take it and move forward with it. Love it. Thank you so much, Joel Lamar, for coming to a gift from university today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And thank you for our audience for listening to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. See you next time.